This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. Today on State of the World, why is the mood in China changing? Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories up close where they're happening. It's Monday, December 18th. I'm Greg Dixon. China seems to be at an inflection point. For decades, it was on an unstoppable upward trajectory. But that began to be in question when COVID hit. Now, a year after emerging from strict COVID controls, China's future is less certain than it has been in a long time. To understand this, I have NPR China correspondent John Ruich joining me from Beijing. Hey, John. Hey, Greg. So, John, you've been covering China for a long time. Tell me what China looks like now and why this moment is so interesting. Yeah, I first came here in the 90s, the early 90s, to study. And then I came back to report in 2001 and have been basically here or coming and going since then. You know, I've watched a country on a really amazing trajectory, both economically and socially, always changing, always in flux. And there have been profound changes over those years. And for much of that time, the through line has been this forward-looking, very positive energy, very strong confidence about the future. But over the past year, year and a half that I've been coming back uh, after the pandemic, it really feels like that's shifting. So confidence about the future was obviously driven by its extremely strong economy. What is the shift that you say you're seeing? Well, the economy has been downshifting. You're right that that was driving it. I mean, it had double-digit growth for year after year after year. That obviously started to slow several years ago. But today we've got this confluence of factors that's joining that. So not only do you have structural and policy-driven economic changes, there's domestic politics that are focused on security, international frictions, and it's all combined to really change the vibe here. And for a lot, what that's meant is that that sort of inevitably better future isn't so inevitable anymore, right? People are downsizing their aspirations. You talked to some people in the country about how they see the future. Let's listen to what they told you. On the northern edge of the Chinese city of Xi'an, a 45-year-old man named Jiang tells a typical story. He left his home village, not far from here, at the age of 18 to work in a factory town in southern China. Five years ago, he moved again to Xi'an and started a second-hand kitchen appliance business. There are refrigerators, stoves, blenders. He says, like others, he had big dreams, and opportunities were there for the taking. But it's been a tough road, and conditions now, with the economy on its heels, are actually worse, he says, than during the pandemic. The economy is rather dead these days. For example, people who might want to open a store won't dare to do it now. And those who run a small business aren't expanding. Government policies have not sparked the recovery that one might have come to expect in years past when economic growth topped the list of priorities. And that's dented Jiang's ambitions for upward mobility, ambitions that multiplied across hundreds of millions of people fueled China's economic rise. His aspirations for a better life, he says, have faded. In Beijing, Jörg Wutke has had a front-row seat to China's spectacular rise and the ambition that's fueled it. 
He's been here for most of the past four decades, doing business and lobbying for European firms as head of the European Chamber of Commerce for much of that time. Well, first time I came to China in summer 82, and uh, people were really poor, and they had nothing to lose. Back then, he says, people used to pay to have their pictures taken next to cars because there were so few of them. Now there are more cars in China than people in the U.S., I first met Jorg a little over 20 years ago when our offices were in the same building. The country had just joined the World Trade Organization. It was China which actually was very open and could sort of give us some indications of where we're heading, you know, to a more open liberal society. Globalization would be coming into town. Now, he says, the Communist Party has actually become more dominant across society than he thinks it was even 40 years ago, before reform and opening really started to take off. For Xi Jinping, it's clear. Ideology trumps the economy. That's muddied the waters for businesses. It is far more complex in order to actually steer a company in the business in China than it was over the last 20, 30 years. Geopolitics, linked to domestic politics, both here and abroad, is a driving factor. Foreign direct investment is down, confidence is low. And as is the case for Jiang, the appliance salesman in Xi'an, the future is less certain than it always seemed to be. Vutka is moving on in the coming months. He says it's got nothing to do with current affairs, but China is in uncharted waters. And for him, that became crystal clear last year when the government hewed for too long to an unbending and unforgiving zero-COVID policy. In Shanghai, that policy turned a high school teacher into an exiled dissident. Huang Yicheng says as someone who grew up in China, human rights was not something he spent much time thinking about. If I could live normally, go to work, have some fun, be with my family, make some money, eat, then it'd all be fine. But then, in the spring of 2022, the Shanghai government ordered its 26 million residents to stay home to stop the spread of COVID. A lockdown that was supposed to last about a week would stretch for two long months. Huang felt like he was on an animal farm. It was terrifying, and it showed what the government was capable of. Later that year, when protests erupted in Shanghai and elsewhere against the draconian COVID policies, Huang got involved. I woke up that day, and it was the afternoon already, so I took the subway over. Over to where a crowd had gathered at an intersection. He mostly hung back, but when police cleared protesters that night, he was grabbed, roughed up, and briefly detained. Months later, after lying low, he fled to Germany. I had never really thought of leaving, really. I thought, if this country's not good, you don't necessarily need to leave it. You can stay and do small things to make change. Instead, the pandemic changed him. Back in Xi'an, we checked in on a man who NPR talked to a year ago. At the time, Li Xin was squatting in an unfinished apartment that he had bought nine years earlier. It was on the 28th floor. We used a tank gas stove, and we had to fetch bottles of water from downstairs. Construction had stopped after the property developer allegedly lost money in other investments. But this year, the building was finally completed. So when we got the key and opened the door, there was no feeling of excitement. When we went in, we just wanted to cry. 
Their life plans for an early wedding, for kids, were set back by years. But now in their new home, surely things were looking up, weren't they? Lee betrays little emotion. I don't have any aspirations, and I don't think I want to have any aspirations anymore. He says that's because they've never panned out for him. That was some reporting from NPR's John Ruwich, who is here with me. John, really interesting stories we heard there. A lot of despair about the future. What do you think that tells you about China now? Yeah, I mean, look, these are four vignettes, right? Four people out of a country that's huge and diverse and has 1.4 billion people, right? So so it's hard to draw straight-line conclusions. You know, if my many years of reporting and living in China have taught me one thing, it's that making predictions about what's going to happen here, where this place is headed, is fraught. Uh, but this is a shift, right? A shift in the zeitgeist. You can feel it. Uh, you can sense it. You have conversations about it. And it's definitely something worth paying attention to, I think. As you said, the vibe feels like it's changing. It does. It's NPR's John Ruich in Beijing. And this is part of a series of stories on NPR looking at China. You can find more here in our feed coming up on air and online at npr.org. Thanks, John. You're welcome, Greg. That's the State of the World from NPR. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR.